0: Hello, future minority doctors. As always, thank you for joining us again and supporting our podcast. Today, I will be interviewing an amazing doctor couple who both have a great passion in not only helping patients, but also increasing the number of Filipino doctors in the medical community. Dr. Hazel Abense and Dr. Mark Valdez were both born and raised in Honolulu, Hawaii. Dr. Hazel and Dr. Mark both grew up in a community called Kalihi, which is known in Hawaii to be heavily populated by immigrant Filipino families. They both attended local colleges. Dr. Hazel went to the University of Hawaii at Manoa and majored in biology. Dr. Mark went to Hawaii Pacific University and majored in pre-medical studies with a minor in chemistry, which was followed to a move to Los Angeles for residency training at USC, where Dr. Hazel met me. Dr. Hazel completed her residency in a combined program that includes internal medicine, which is uh, adult medicine, and pediatrics, which is the child medicine. Dr. Mark completed his residency in critical care. Currently, Dr. Hazel practices outpatient pediatrics, and Dr. Mark practices critical care in Hawaii. Dr. Hazel is one of the chair and advisors for the Philippine Medical Association of Hawaii Mentorship Program, where they advise and mentor local pre-medical students of all ethnicities, but with a focus on Filipino students. Doctors Mark and Hazel are also clinical associate professors with the John A. Burns School of Medicine Medical School. They have one son, Max, who's three years old. They enjoy traveling, eating at new places, and doing puzzles as a family. Welcome, Dr. Hazel and Dr. Mark, to our podcast. It is such an honor to have you both here and be able to ask you both about your medical journey. Our hope is that there is a listener out there who will listen to your story and your journey today and see a reflection of himself or herself in you. So I'd like to start first by asking about the lack of Filipino doctors in the medical community. I know this may vary from region to region in the U.S., but can you tell us about a little bit more about it, at least within Hawaii? So within Hawaii,
1: the Filipino population is about 20-25%. But when we look at the number of Filipino doctors in Hawaii, we make up only about 5%. And a lot of those doctors were actually older generation. Um, a lot of them were immigrants. Um, And so a lot of them were able to finish their training outside in the Philippines and came over and started practicing here. But that's no longer the case. Being a foreign medical graduate is very difficult now. Um, So to rebuild up the Filipino doctor pool here in Hawaii, we really have to rely on our local kids um, to become doctors. And so currently, uh, as far as I know, Johnny Burns School of Medicine, which is the, the med school that we went to, which is the only medical school, MD medical school here in Hawaii. So they have 70 students per class. I know personally that in the fourth year class, there's four Filipinos, so less than 10%, obviously. The third year class has about 13. That was an amazing year for us. Uh, There was a lot of Filipino students that year. But generally, in the second and first year class at JABSOM, they're running about five students, Filipino students per class out of 70. Um so obviously uh, less than 10% of Japson's classes normally are less are Filipino students which will not make up for the 25% population that we have here in Hawaii of Filipinos.
0: So very similar to even just other minority ethnic groups with, throughout the country. Do you know if that's similar outside of Hawaii or is that more I don't I don't know if you know.
1: It's very difficult because You know Filipinos are lumped into Asian, Mm (laughs) so and Asian encompasses so many different ethnicities.
0: So that's a very difficult. I tried looking for it,
1: Doctor Zoma. I couldn't find (laughs) it. Okay, yeah, I was just
0: curious because even thinking back into my medical school class, I think there was one Filipino student in my and my class was a a 120 or so. So we're uh, definitely
1: underrepresented. Yeah. Definitely
0: agree. Okay, thanks. I just wanted the I wanted everybody that's here to kind of have a background. Um, because sometimes I think uh, Filipinos aren't considered within the underrepresented minorities, but I think it definitely is. Oh, you we definitely care. are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, now I will go on to ask um, you both of you more questions that we tend to get from any students that we talk to. So what's a typical day like for you at work? And then if you can include if you're the first doctor in your family? And then for uh, Dr. Mark, if you can expand a little on what critical care doctor is, as some students might not know what that actually is.
2: Okay. So I am the first doctor in my family. I'm the only one crazy enough to think about going into med school. But um, So a typical... I don't really have a typical day. I have a perfect day for me, <laughs> so I go. my My group covers three different hospitals on the island, so I my group will I will go personally to one of those hospitals depending on my schedule. We go to the hospital. I get report from the on from the outgoing uh, intensivist, uh, and once I get report on all the patients, then I go and round, talk to the nurses, basically just take care of um, all the patients that are there. So, just a little background on what the ICU or what an intensivist does. So depending on how a patient, how sick a patient is will determine where they go in the hospital. So sometimes they just need like a little IV medicines and the nurse has to check in on them every couple hours or so to make sure they're doing okay. So they end up on like the medicine wards or telemetry. The ICU is a little bit different because everyone's much more sick. They're on medicines that uh, need to be constantly monitored. Their vitals need to be constantly monitored. Um, so the nurses are there pretty much every single hour they're reevaluating the patient so they just their care is for lack of a better word just more intense than than on the floor so that's that's what the ICU is so the ICU doctor are, is basically the doctor that takes care of these ICU patients uh, the difference between an ICU doctor and say a doctor that takes care of patients on the wards is we have a different, skill set so if if a patient were to quote unquote crash you know like code blue and all that stuff that stuff that you kind of see on tv the, it's the icu doctor that kind of runs the show there so i can i can put in um breathing tubes in i can put in special lines chest tubes things like that so i just have like a more different skill set than than a regular like hospitalist so after i'm done rounding and taking care of the patients i just kind of wait and If there's any other problems that arise during the day, I I take care of that. Any new patients that show up that need the ICU, I will take care of those patients as well. And then the good thing about my job is it's it's shift work, basically. So I'm on for a 12-hour shift. At the end of a shift, another version of me will come on and I give report to them. And then I get to go home. Usually to a lovely dinner for my wife, but sometimes not. <laughs> Usually, She's too busy.
0: Sometimes. <laughs> He's the cook, I take it. <laughs> That's really neat. We had a, a trauma surgeon on not too long ago, so it's kind of nice for um, the students to hear what the intensivist does because like, it's a very stressful job, and you're taking yeah. a very, you're taking care of very, very sick people. So mm-hmm. you are saving lives. And then what about you, Dr. Hazel? What's a typical day like for you at work? So I am a outpatient
1: pediatrician. And as you had mentioned, that's children doctor. Um, so I'm the complete opposite of what Mark does. Um, Mark is taking care of sick patients that are in the hospital. I'm taking care of mostly healthy babies, uh, children and young adults in the clinic. So COVID has changed the way that we practice um medicine in our clinic. So I am in practice with my mom. My mom is a pediatrician also. So currently, our clinic is open six days a week. And half the time, I will go into clinic and see healthy children to do their checkups and get vaccines. And the other half of the week, I'll be home doing telehealth, which is what you hear about virtual on your phone or on the computer. You see the doctor on the other side. And those are the, the patients who are sick cough, runny nose, fever, vomiting, diarrhea, we'll try to manage it over telehealth.
0: And I'll do that from home. Very neat. And what would you both say is the best thing you like about your job and the hardest part of your job?
1: I think for me, my favorite part of my job of being a pediatrician is my personality is definitely pediatrics. Not to say that other specialties aren't like this, but I am super (laughs) loving. Mm -hmm. I I, I, I am very embracing and loving, and um, I love seeing children grow up. I, I enjoy seeing families grow. I love being part of their journey and just, you know, seeing them develop. And A lot of, I remember when you were just doing this, and it's so much fun to be able to do that in pediatrics. The hardest part about pediatrics for me, I mean, a lot of people fear going into peds because, oh, I can't deal with the parents, right? Mm-hmm. Like the parents mm-hmm. is so hard. Like, how do you do that? I personally actually don't think that's true. I i actually think for the most part, parents want their children to be healthy. And so when the doctor says you need to do this for your child to be healthy, for the most part, they're on board and you know, they don't give any pushback. And so- I think the hardest part, I mean, I don't know if there's a hardest part, honestly, Zoma. Okay, I don't think this is necessarily the the hardest part about pediatrics. I think in general, for any physician, it's all of the paperwork. It's all of the admin work. It's all the stuff that takes you away from being able to spend time with your patients. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if there's a magical wand that could take all of that away and magically have all my charts closed by themselves and all my notes done on their own, I would love that.
0: Very good. I think I've said I had a student recently asked me that too and I said the same thing. I said, Oh, the administrative work. (laughs) So definitely great. And what about you, Dr. Mark?
2: Uh, let's see. So so the reason why I did critical care was I I remember doing this like outpatient rotation once in medicine. And I was just like it was it was a lab follow-up, right? And then it's all about just kind of education and all that stuff. And like to me, I mean, it's it's really important that you we doc, we as doctors educate our patients and all that stuff so that they can stay healthy and whatnot outside of the hospital, outside of the clinic. So I think it's really important. But for me, I just, deep down inside, I just didn't really feel like I was doing anything mm-hmm. <laughs> for them by just trying to teach them this stuff. So I went into critical care because it was just, I, I, you're taking care of these patients that are essentially dying. And you're you're taking them from a place where they could essentially not be here anymore and there's all these i have a whole bunch of stories of these patients who were like close to death and all of a sudden they're like walking out of the hospital and getting to be with their families again actually recently one of my old patients uh, just started like a, he was like this surfer that was here and got a really bad infection he was within our hospital for months on end and um, he had to actually go home and kind of recuperate but now he's like he's back here he's starting like a, a youtube vlog on his experiences, trying to get back to surfing and all that stuff. So it's it's really like it's really um, comforting to know that i I helped him get better like that. Um, so it's just just that idea of of taking someone who is near death and and helping them get better. Uh, the hardest part, so especially with this whole pandemic thing, um, is it's always just dealing with those that you can't save. Uh, especially because with this pandemic and there's this whole like restrictions on visitors in the hospital. I mean, these patients were like essentially dying alone in the hospital and just kind of helping families cope with that is I still think the hardest part. Having that talk, you know, that quote unquote talk with the with the families. I mean, I do it a lot, but I'm still not used to it. You know, it's still it's still hard every time I, I do it. So
0: That's a good thing, though. I think that's what keeps us human. Right. Mm-hmm. And relating to to the families, because I remember when we rotated through the ICU, I think I probably cried every time <laughs> yeah. with the families because yeah. it, it just can't get easy. So. Right. The next question that we get often are they just are curious about is your upbringing and your background. So if you guys can tell us what your upbringing was like and your background as well.
2: Uh, so I am a I guess I call it a first generation guy <laughs> so my parents were were immigrants so my mom uh, got to the states through her late husband her late first husband and then my dad um, I think he initially came in through his brother who had joined the military here in the US and then my dad himself went into the military um so so yeah' I'm a, I am the and I'm the only son of an immigrant family um, so born and raised in Kalihi, like you had mentioned uh, pretty we weren't really well off I mean like I initially went to a public school but then I guess I was quote-unquote naughty <laughs> so <laughs> they had sent me to a private school which I know was a pretty big because you have to pay in Hawaii it's like pretty expensive to get private school here um, so my parents had enough money to to send me to private school but I'm, I'm pretty sure looking back at it now I'm pretty sure it like put a pretty huge financial burden uh, on them um, and I think that drove me, like that, that, knowing that I was putting that kind of pressure on my family kind of was part of the reason why I, I worked so hard throughout my entire life, because I knew anything that I was doing, my parents were helping pay for. And I basically, there was like no room to mess up, because, you know, if, if you mess up and, and you fail at something, then you have essentially just wasted, I, I wasted my parents' money is, is the feeling that I got. So that's kind of one of the big drivers in me.
0: What about you, Dr.
1: Hazel? So for me, um, so my parents are both immigrants as well. Um, My dad is one of nine children. And so my dad came over. Um, Same story. My uncle is military, was able to petition all of his siblings to come over. So my dad came over and then eventually brought my mom over with him. So technically, I was made in the Philippines, but I was born here in Hawaii. And then growing up, we, you know, we came from a poor background, too. So my dad started off as a blessed boy at restaurants. And then somehow he started working at a small printing shop in the in Kalihi. And then something happened to the owner. And then so all of a sudden, my dad was the owner of this printing shop. And then it was a very small one, like mom and pop-ish, okay? It's not nothing big at all. And my mom, she was actually, she had done medical school in the Philippines and had trained as OB in the Philippines. She was in residency in OB. OB, And when she came over, she thought she could easily just like jump right back in and become a doctor again. But that is definitely not the case. She couldn't be a doctor here in Hawaii despite having had her degree in the Philippines. So she was working with my dad in the printing shop. She eventually got her master's. I grew up in a printing shop, basically. We had a home, we had a small little apartment. But then because my parents were working so hard, at the printing shop. We basically had a small bed in there. Um, I learned how to answer phones pretty easily. Hi, this is, you know, community instant printing. May I help you at the age of eight? And (laughs) then I learned how to like type up stuff, you know, like if they need invitations, I learned how to do that pretty early. So child labor. That's what you call it. <laughs> um. So I, I was I was raised, you know, to work. And I saw my parents working really hard to give us a life where my sister and I could go to the same. Um. Uh, so my husband and I actually met in this private school when we were grade school. Um. And so, you know, to send us to private school, which was down the street. So, I mean, I wouldn't say we were, you know, I, I definitely felt the pinch for money growing up. Um. And then, you know, we, as we got older, blessings upon blessings to our family that my mom eventually was able to find a spot and train in now pediatrics out in New Jersey when she left us when I was eight years old. And then my father eventually was very big on community service. So he eventually worked his way up to when the state representative died in our district, the governor actually appointed my father to take his place and become the state rep for Kalihi. And so we were able to get out of, the printing shop, that kind of life. And so, yeah, I mean, that that's, that's the Filipino background. Immigrant parents working hard to support their children and their family, give them a roof, give them food, hoping that their children just focus really hard in school and they will have a better life than them. And so Mark and I definitely hope we made our parents proud.
0: I think you guys have. <laughs> okay. When and how did you decide that you guys wanted to be doctors? And then what other careers did you guys ever consider along the way?
1: Um, So for me, personally, because my mom was a physician, I went from being raised in the printing shop to being raised in a pediatric practice. Um, So in my high school years, I worked in her front desk in the clinic. And then as I got a little bit older, I started doing her billing and I started doing stuff in the back, acting like it's an M.A., So naturally, I thought that this is where I belong, this is what I want to do. And then in college, I had this moment where, you know, am I doing this for myself? Is this what I want? Or is this what my parents want of me and are expected of me? Um, So for about a semester, I had switched my major in my, I think in my head, but not officially to becoming a teacher. Same idea, right? I still wanted to be with children. I still wanted to foster their growth. But then- it was a very fleeting moment. I realized quickly that I wanted to go back to medicine, that um, I enjoyed the science. I enjoyed learning complex, the way the body works, et cetera, et cetera. So there was no aha moment for me. It was just something that because I was lucky to have a, a figure in my life to help me be a role model, that's
0: how I ended up where I am. And what about you, Dr. Mark? Uh,
2: so I've always been kind of uh... – I've always had like this affinity towards more science-y type stuff. and it really like art class and all that. Um, I still remember like when I was a kiddo, I had um, an encyclopedia with um, uh, the human body. So there was like a pieces of cellophane and there was like each each page was like different parts of the, like was like nervous system, musculoskeletal system, cardiovascular system. So I remember, I still remember vividly like looking at that constantly uh, when I was a kid. So that was where kind of my fascination with like science and more particularly um, like human body type stuff um, was fostered. And then uh, I went through, you know, high school and then, you know, your parents ask you, like, oh, what are you going to be when you grow up kind of thing? And then at that time I was dating this girl who was like the daughter of a politician and a doctor. Which sounds kind of familiar, but anyway. <laughs> no stress, So I was dating right? this girl. Yeah, I know, and it was just like, I and mean, I didn't bring this up before, but then my my parents were they're they're nobodies. Like they're not like a politician. They were just like regular Joe schmo clerk workers, kind of kind of type people. And they were like, man, if if you're gonna date this girl, if you're gonna marry this girl. You got to make sure you become something. So, <laughs> So it was like, you know, doctor, lawyer, engineer, kind of like, you know, the prototypical, these are the jobs only Asians can do kind of kind of thing. <laughs> and then so I started as, as I went through, you know, college and high school, I got more experience in the medical field because that was what kind of interested me. And I got to volunteer over at um, one of the hospitals I work at now. But I volunteered there in their ER and I got to see like, you know, what doctors did. Um, I did look at into nursing because there's a whole bunch of people in my family that did do nursing. But I just, the idea of, you know, like wiping butts all day, I was just like, well, I can't. I mean, it's important. It's really important, everyone. But, (laughs) but I just, I couldn't see myself doing that. And, and just kind of seeing how the doctor kind of was the, was the team leader and like the, the effects that those ER doctors made on, on families, I, I, that really spoke to me. And so I was like, okay, I can, let's do this. Let's go to medical school. (laughs) So that's kind of where I, where I ended up.
1: Very neat. Just to add, a, we love our nurses. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm like,
2: yeah, yeah. I, they're like the most important thing They are ever. your right hand, especially <laughs> yes. in the ICU. They can, they can make your life really good or really bad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so be kind, yeah. to, be you kind
2: to your nurses. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. And plus, there's a, uh, I feel like there's a, a large majority of nurses that are Filipino, you know? Yeah. So... So, yeah. I
1: mean, so that's one of the things, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so you kind of follow what you see and what's comfortable. So, Filipinos, we are well known to be amazing nurses throughout the United States, yep. right? There, we are, that's, that's our jam. Filipinos are nurses. But I do want to, you know, to the, the students out there, if you, there's something in you that sparks you to want to try to do more and be a doctor but you settle in your head because nursing is comfortable because nursing is what your ate did or what your manang did or what your anyone in your family is like everyone tells you just do nursing it's faster it's cheaper you know you can get a job here because your ate works Mm -hmm. there but in you you know that that's not where you want to be i really encourage you to push the boundaries and not, not settle, but just say like, you know, I feel like I could do more and be okay with that. Take that risk. You can do it. Good. Thank
0: you for sharing that with us. We've had some students that are Filipino and they tend to ask more so of the nursing questions and we're like, wait a minute, why not consider being a doctor? (laughs) So Mm -hmm. that's good. And we Mm -hmm. always feel like you can't be what you can't see. So this is why Mm -hmm. we need to be seen. Exactly. So when you guys were deciding on becoming a doctor, what was the one thing that most made you question yourself if this was actually an achievable goal? Because it's hard to make it to be a doctor just to get into medical school.
1: I thought really hard and long about this question. (laughs) Um, And really, the answer is the one thing that made it hard for me to get here is myself. Right. It was me. It was my lack of self-confidence. It was my feeling of intimidation, feeling like, who am I? I'm not good enough. The pre-med world is very competitive. It is it is mentally probably more exhausting than the actual schoolwork. It's you're constantly comparing yourself to your peers, you're comparing your backgrounds, right? So Mark and I were first generation. Our parents, you know, started off as regular, as Mark said, Joe And then you look at your peers and their parents are doctors. Their parents are well-established in the community. They have a nice house. They went to like the big elite private schools and we didn't. Mm -hmm. And so even before you start getting their MCAT and whatnot, already you start feeling like I can't do this. I don't think I'm good enough. Um, And that kind of mentality definitely affected the way I seek out opportunities in college I didn't put myself out there enough. I didn't go to the speaker at some conference. Hey, like, hi, Dr. So-and-so, like, I'm really interested in what you said. Is there any way that I could possibly volunteer at your lab or come to your clinic or whatnot? I didn't even join the pre-med club at UH because I was so intimidated at that group. So I think my background definitely influenced my mentality as a pre-med and definitely held me back because I just didn't believe in myself enough.
0: How did you overcome that, Dr. Hazel? Just because I feel that's a very common situation for most of uh, minority students.
1: So what I did was I hung on to the small group of friends that I felt were genuinely friends. You you have a lot of quote-unquote friends in pre-medical school, right? But it's so competitive. Um, But I I hung on to the group of friends that I met doing a, a summer research program. And they're genuinely really great people. And then I just learned from them what they were doing. And then they, in turn, like really helped guide me on like what were the next steps. And then it gave me confidence, just like being with people who were like down to earth at the same level as me. And I was like, I can do this. I can do this with them. So definitely finding your support system within the this craziness of trying to become a doctor made
0: all the difference for me. Good piece of advice. What about for you, Dr. Mark?
2: I didn't have too like I have the same the same feelings as Dr. Hazel that uh did but not as not as great. I think what benefited me was um I I knew like I'm naturally introverted um and I knew like going to like a really big university was like that wouldn't help me. Like I needed to, in order to kind of stand out and help me through my journey, I needed to go to a smaller uh, university, which is why I went to Hawaii Pacific, which is a lot smaller uh, than UH. So I, I kind of set myself up for success, I feel, because then I was able to kind of shine through my pre-med years. I think I didn't really start feeling like all that inadequate feeling type stuff until I actually really hit medical school for me because then now you're, now I was in a bigger class. And uh, now it's like everyone else is top notch. I mean, like they, they interview thousands of applicants, and this is like the top what, 1% or something like that that you're around. So that's when I started to really feel that, you know, that inadequacy, all again stemming from, from like my background and all that stuff. I think the bigger thing that kept uh, riding me throughout my entire like pre med uh, journey was do I have the finances to, to do this really? Like I said before, my my family wasn't really, you know, we didn't we weren't rolling around in money. So like even just sending me to a private school was like already tight on them. And you know throughout throughout my pre med years, my my parents would like question me like, do you really want to do this? Because they were worried. I I have a feeling like you know they never really admitted this to me outright, but I have a feeling they were worried that they weren't going to be able to support me through this through the whole whole journey. Yeah, God bless them. I mean, I mean we. We I, we, I made it through, and I can't thank them more than enough for all the support that they gave. But I think that's that's another thing. There's in in our culture, there's there's this push to start making money and babies early on in life. <laughs> you know, like there's this all this pressure. Like you got to start supporting the family and all that stuff. And then that's part of the reason why I've spoken to some Filipino nurses who, like, I've asked them who were like really good nurses and I asked them, like, did you ever even think about being a doctor? And they were like now because i needed to like start supporting my family like i i knew i couldn't sacrifice years of my life for my own self and and sacrifice my family for this so that's that's another like thing that that's pretty heavy in our in our culture just this pressure to support like pay back your your family kind of thing so i think that's that's where my biggest barrier was like can can i do this financially
0: I'm glad you brought up those points because I would say those are probably within the top five questions we get from all minority students is yeah. the giving back financially, how much it costs yeah. is a big one too. So everything you just brought up, and we actually did an episode that just talks about cultural expectations and and the role as a as a male and also as a female, because as a male, you're expected to provide right away, right? A female is like, okay, I got to start popping those babies out. (laughs) Just like you said, too, or that's too long. You're going to be too old when you have children and so forth. So we actually made an episode just to talk about all of those pressures. So I'm glad you guys brought those up. Can you guys think of any other obstacles or a big obstacles (laughs) that you guys faced along the way, thinking back from college, medical school, or even residency and just getting to where you are today?
1: I feel like I did not understand what it took to be a doctor in college. I did not understand the pre-med route. I did not understand early on that I had to take the MCAT, that GPA, I really had to get a good <laughs> GPA. I I didn't. I went into college knowing that I wanted to pursue the pre-medical path, but I didn't know how to get there. I didn't have the guidance. And like I said, I was so stuck in my own head and I limited myself from seeking help that I didn't go and try to find out how to do it. So it's actually Mark and I talk about it. It's like, it's a miracle that we're here. Like, how do we even get here?
2: Yeah, yep. <laughs> We, we, figure this we are out? extremely lucky, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, somehow we figured it all out and we were able to make it. Um, but that was another obstacle. And, you know, Dr. you you shared that I work with, uh, I mentor students now right and so that's what I, I'm finding a lot in my students when I talk to them in college like they know they want to become a doctor but they haven't found out how like what are the details and so if any of you out there are thinking of becoming a doctor and you're in college already please make sure that you understand like what the steps are because it's it's a lot of steps and it's steps that require stuff for you do today right it's like your GPA matters today your activities matter today even if you're a first year they matter and they're going to make a big difference whether or not it's going to be harder or easier for you to get into med school when time comes to apply so that was definitely something that I struggled and realized very late is like I didn't know the path to becoming a doctor and I and I wish somehow somewhere someone along the way someone sat my ass down
0: <laughs> sat me down that's I okay wish-
2: just bleep it out
0: <laughs> You are I speaking wish from someone, the heart, so let it out, I Hazel. wish
2: oh, yeah,
1: I really do, because I really do, because I see so many of our Filipino pre-med struggles so hard, because no one gave them the guidance early on that they needed to hear, and it's so simple, like, I could guide a student in an hour, and it could make all the difference for how they set up their next three, four years, and that's all it takes, really, and so encourage everyone out there that is thinking of this path please 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 learn early what the steps are to become a doctor it
0: makes all the difference what about you dr mark
2: i know i just echo everything that she said definitely find a mentor so if you think about our story who was our mentors my mentor was her and her mentor was me and it was basically (laughs) Mm -hmm. just like the blind leading the blind
1: absolutely like all
2: we knew is we need to get grades we need to get need to do good on the mcat like we didn't really know what a good competitive MCAT score was we just like tried really hard to get a good score <laughs> whatever that was mm-hmm. i mean for god's sakes like my you, you listen back to the beginning and what's my what's my major pre med studies like who who majors in pre med studies <laughs> like i didn't i didn't know i had no idea what i needed to do to get into med school i just knew like oh i guess i want to go med school so i'll just do this pre med studies thing you know and then looking back now i wish i had you know majored in different things but I mean, I can't go back and change time. But yeah, so just get a mentor is, is the biggest message. Um, get someone that can lead you through this. Because it's, it's like we've already said, it's a really difficult and long path. You need a beacon of light to kind of guide you through that.
0: Do you guys have any suggestions for any students, especially if they're Filipino, where they can access information um, to find mentors? with the alliance like that you work for or that you volunteer for?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, like the fallback for a lot of our pre-med students, the first, the easiest thing that they can think of is who are the doctors in their, not necessarily in their family, but in their life. Like who was their pediatrician that helped raise them? Who was, who was mom and dad's doctor? If grandma, grandpa were seeing a heart doctor, could I go in a pro- and I went with grandma, grandpa to the to their appointments with them? Could I ask the heart doctor? Like, could I shadow you? And one of the big things that I like to share is like opportunities will only come if you put yourself out there and ask. And don't be afraid to get 10 no's in order to get the one yes. If you only ask once, your chances of getting a yes are very slim. But if you ask 10 times, your chances of getting yes are much higher. And I know getting shadowing is very difficult. So then you just got to ask. And so a lot of our students find us just through social media. And so when you're in the pre med world, social media is crazy. Like our pre med days are very different from the pre med now because now it's just so easy to connect with all these organizations and these online e-shadowings and it's so easy to find these resources now oh wait i've never
0: heard of e-shadowings what exactly is that yeah
1: i just found it so then one of our physicians um in pmah in our organization she's setting up herself to be a doctor that's gonna e-shadow meaning it's online it's zoom and then i think for for how long two three hours yeah
2: they just talk she just kind of talks about what she does on a daily basis kind of thing and then they go through some cases here and there right and then it's like wide open q a you can ask whatever you want kind of thing
1: any pre-med can sign up and it's on it's i found it on instagram e shadowing dot dot something i can i can find it and share with you and so it gives an opportunities it gives up pre-meds opportunities to go and learn about all these different specialties and hear their stories and hear what they do and what kind of patients they see. I mean, that's amazing. Social media gives you so much opportunities now. And then next step, you DM that doctor. Hey, doctor, I really enjoyed and really what you said resonated with me. I see that you're local. Is there any way that I could set up a time to come meet you and see you in clinic? Yeah.
0: I mean, just put yourself out there. That's amazing. I had not heard of that one. So now I hope whoever's is listening is writing that
1: down. <laughs> I will find it for you.
0: And we can add it on our resource page um, for our website and also on our social media as well. That's awesome. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right. If you could go back in time to your younger self, say when you were in high school or college, what advice would you give yourself?
2: I think everything that we just said, really. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty introverted. I, I think I would go back in time and just kick me in the butt and say, like, just, just get out there, put yourself out there. I really feel like, like, like we had already mentioned, really feel lucky that we got to where we were. Um, it could have easily have gone any other way. And I, I, I I feel like if we had just known what we were doing by having some sort of mentor out there to kind of guide me, I think I would have been in a much better, it wouldn't have been as hard as it was, doing it. If I had just ha- if I had just put myself out there, found myself somebody to guide me and and gone through it. I think I think I would have ended up in the same place that I am now, but it would have not have been as as hard for me.
1: I think for me um networking, learning how to network in the sense of learning how to just again, put yourself out there and talk to that pre-med next to you that looks as lost as you. <laughs> right, <Yeah. laughs> creating relationships, creating friendships, having that speaker that came to your class and approaching them at the end, like, "Hey, Doctor So and So, I really appreciate what you just did for us. Thank you." You, you know, those little things, you know. Um, I think that's an important skill that is good to learn in college and foster throughout the rest of your life. Because even as physicians, networking is so important, right, in providing good patient care, and so. If you are an introvert already, like how my husband, I'm not an introvert, my husband.
0: (laughs) You guys balance each other out. We
1: do. We do. So if you find yourself that it's hard for you to create new relationships and reaching that hand out and just like saying hi, I really challenge you to try to see if you can do that. And it's hard with COVID. It's definitely hard with everything online. But when everything is lifted and, th- and life is better for all of us, I encourage everyone to just push themselves a little bit more to get out of their comfort zone and reach out a hand to your fellow neighbor and just build that networking skill and it'll take you a long way. And I wish I had done that earlier.
2: I think there's some cultural thing to it too, because I, I feel like at least to Filipinos, it's like, don't don't, don't bother him. Don't bother him. Oh yeah,
1: that's true. That's,
2: that's kind of what I still feel like I, I still kind of feel like that every so often in the hospital too. And like I ask nurses to get a lab draw, like I don't want to bother them because they look so busy kind of thing. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: But yeah, there's this kind of underwriting, like don't bother people and just kind of do your thing. So that's, I think part of that is a reason why it's hard for us to go out there and put our necks out and ask, you know, to, to have a shadowing experience, you know? So yeah, so get get over that. Yeah, the <laughs> just, feeling just of being it.
0: a burden on others. We talk mm-hmm. about that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Coming from two people that went through this, just get over just do it. Mm-hmm. Get over yeah,
1: it. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly what it is, Dr. Zoma. that you don't want to be a burden yeah. on other people. Yeah.
0: You know, um, given I have both of you, just because this is another common question that I get, a lot of the students ask me about that balance of being a doctor and a parent. And since I have a couple here <laughs> and both of you guys are doctors, it's it really is a big concern, specifically even starting in high school. A lot of high school students ask me, well, how, how do you balance being a doctor and a parent if I want to have a family one day or how, you know, just the day to day? Like, how, how is that possible? I think number one
1: is choose your specialty wisely. Right. Um, certain specialties are a lot easier to have a work life balance compared to other specialties. So the ones where you're not on call and call meaning the hospital can call you at any time to come in at night or so for example babies come on their own time, right? Mm -hmm. So baby doctors or obstetricians, OB gyns they depending on their way their work is set up, they could be on call all year if they're in their own clinic. And so that's very difficult to have work life balance versus being a doctor, such as a radiologist. And a radiologist is a doctor that reads x rays, reads scans. Um, And so their time is, they have work shifts. And so they can control their time. And so I think the type of specialty you choose has a big influence on how your work life balance would be. And then the type of job that you choose in that specialty. Mark can probably talk more about that. But, you know, are you going to be a cardiologist, but just do clinic with no call? You can have that choice eventually. Or are you going to be employed in a place where you're a cardiologist and you have to take call? So also your place of employment uh, matters. And so, you know, when you get to that point where you have when you're searching for your job as a physician, really think about what that job is asking of you of your time and whether or not that's worth it to you, the money versus the time, right? Would you take less pay to be able to be with your family more versus get paid more, but you're sacrificing
0: time for your family. And that's something that we battle all the time.
2: Ditto everything. (laughs) Yeah, I agree.
0: How do you guys balance? Because being in a dual physician household, how do you guys balance? Because I'm assuming Dr. Mark has call or is it just strictly shift work cuz i don't i don't No
2: so so we're i'm pretty i'd say like 80% of it is shift work there's some some shifts where i'm actually like on call kind of thing mm-hmm. but the the majority of it is shift work and part of the reason why i took the job that i did was because of that like um when i'm off i'm usually like really off and i can just spend my time with with max our, our son um, as as much as i want to And then two, the other thing too, is our group is a little bit on the bigger side. So then the amount of work is split so much in in our group that um, I essentially get like a majority of the month, just nothing to do, but spend time with my kid. (laughs) So, so yeah, it's really just trying to find the right uh, specialty and then the right job when you're, when you're looking.
0: Mm -hmm. Thanks. Cause I think this will be really useful because we're actually surprised how much we get it from a lot of the high school students and male and female. So it's, it'll just be interesting to hear from an actual dual physician household, how you guys balance life and you're able to have a child, spend time with each other, have dinner together and do the normal stuff that couples do. Yeah.
2: I guess when you're looking for a job, I mean, just, just kind of envision yourself in there and see if you can, is there a way to carve out time for my family? And when I was, Mm -hmm. when I took this job, it was just, that was part of it. Like, can I carve out time? Because there's so many partners in this group. There's always somebody that can kind of cover a shift or like switch schedules or things like that. And that's part of the reason why I I took the job that I'm in now. It's just this ability to be so present at home for my son and and my wife. (laughs) I guess.
1: Hey, hey, I was your first priority. Yeah, fine. (laughs) And then come kids, right? (laughs) Then they they take up all your time. Exactly.
0: Before we close out, is there anything else that you guys want to say as closing remarks before we wrap it up? You know, we understand that
1: wanting to become a physician with a disadvantaged background is very, very tough. There's so many barriers, socioeconomic, Mental, physical, a lot of our students who are from disadvantaged backgrounds have to work in college too, right? So they have to balance full-time school, have a job, and for Filipinos, a lot of our students very have care homes at home, and so their parents when they're home, want them to help with the care home patients. and so there's a lot of stress, and we understand that, and there's a lot of responsibility and Speaking of responsibility, right? It's responsibility to do well to your parents. In college, you want to make sure you do well. It's you want to do well at your job. And then you want to please the future, which is become a doctor eventually. So there's a lot of expectations on you. um, And there's a lot of pressure on you. A lot of pressure from the outside, a lot of pressure from the inside. And we totally understand that when we were there. But it will all pay off, push through. And like my husband said, having mentorship can make a big difference in your motivation to keep going through those dark days find a close group of friends that you know are not judgmental and they're going to be supportive of you along the way and then have a plan have a plan and that's key in anything in your, what you do in life
2: <laughs> yeah
0: anything else
2: it's, it's a hard road. It's a hard road. There's going to be a lot of pressure on you. Just know that there are, the fact that you're listening to this podcast even just shows you that you're looking for that inspiration, that beacon of light. Just know that there are people out there that can help you through this arduous journey that you're putting yourself through. So yeah, just keep looking. I mean, and, and just keep going. Just remember your why too. Why are you, why do you want to do this? Mm-hmm. Just,
1: yeah. why
2: do you want to do this? This is why, okay, let's go and get it. Let's get it done.
1: And money is not the answer to that why. <laughs> if, your, if your why is because I want to make a lot of money, there are better ways to make money without going through this yeah. route. It's it's a very hard route. It's a very hard job to be in. But we love it because we love our patients. We love medicine. And that is one of our big whys.
0: You guys were awesome. <laughs> All right. Yeah, those are excellent advice. Well, thank you all for listening to our podcast today. I hope that hearing Dr. Mark and Dr. Hazel's story inspires you to continue your dream of becoming a doctor. Please feel free to share this podcast with your friends and families as we are here to inspire a new generation of doctors. And please don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. YouTube episodes coming soon. Remember, you could also visit our website for additional resources at www.futureminoritydoctor.com. Peace and love, everyone. Thank you, guys.